Uh, well, it's great to have you here this morning, and if you're listening online later, thanks for doing that. We are in, um, I don't know, maybe part seven of nine of a series called The Lost Art of Friendship. We lost it, we're trying to find it, and the idea behind this series is that there's a, a, a period of time in the history of the church when the church was just trying to get itself together. They were just opening up, just beginning relationships with one another, and just beginning this brand new thing called the church. And in that space, you had to ask the question, what quality of relationship is necessary for the church to make it? because it was getting pressed down on so many sides, both externally and internally. And the benefit to us on this side of eternity, or this side of, not eternity, but of time, is that we get to see letters that the early church um, leaders wrote to the different churches to say, this is how you are to treat one another. And they were indeed unique one another commands and exhortations and encouragements for different parts of how we can relate to one another. And this is what I'm calling in this series The Lost Art of Friendship, is a little bit of a deep dive into what the early church leaders wrote to the early church to say, this is how church, you should treat one another. And so far in this series, we've talked about how to love one another, bear one another's burdens, do not judge one another, um, do good to one another, uh, instruct one another. And now this morning, we are going to talk about this, how to encourage one another, all right? How to encourage one another. Sound exciting? Mm -hmm. An overwhelming response, absolutely. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your neighbor quick and um, give him a fist bump first. Go ahead. You can do that. little fist bump neighbor thing. Wonderful. And then, um, and then tell them quickly, tell them quickly, what does it mean when you think of how do I encourage somebody? What does it mean to you to encourage one another? All right? Go. Five seconds. Very good. Very good timing. Very good timing. That was just about on the dot of five seconds. Well done. Okay. On the, on the face of it, encouragement is fairly self-explanatory. In fact, I would bet that what you just talked about is indeed an incredible short description of encouragement, unless you talked about what's for lunch, or I have no idea what this guy wants, and whatever, I just need to talk because my neighbors are talking. Outside of that, if you actually talk about encouragement, I would bet you could get it, because it's a fairly straightforward word. But here's what I want you to know. I want to go um, a little bit further with the concept of encouragement this morning, because in the New Testament, in the letters that were written to the early church, when Paul was writing particularly about encouragement, um, he also used that same word, that same Greek word that we translate in English as encouragement. He used that same word and translated it in different words in different places. He used that same word to translate encouragement, but also he used that word for urging. He used that word for exhorting. He used that word for pleading. He used that word for begging. He used that word for imploring. And he used that word for comfort. And so when you think about encouragement, Think about the scope of all of those English words that come from that single Greek word. We realize that encouragement is more than a psychological bump that we might get. It is more than just, I feel a little bit better about myself. It's more than just, I watched a Hallmark movie and it ended well and I'm encouraged to do whatever I'm encouraged to do. It's more than that. It actually has a little bit of a nudge to it to kind of nudge 
the recipient of encouragement to do something that otherwise they would not do, to believe something that otherwise they would not believe, and to move into a space that otherwise they may not move into, that encouragement is more than a psychological issue, it is actually a growth issue. And that this word is meant to move us to growth. And so as I think about encouragement, I want to describe it to you this way. These are my own words. That I see encouragement as giving a little bit of courage to someone else. So someone else, excuse me, so someone else can take a little bit of action. Encouragement is giving someone a little bit of courage so that someone else can take a little bit of action. It's taking just that little bit of courage that you see in this person who's around you and saying, you know what, I'm going to give to you, I'm going to loan to you, going to give to you courage because I see that you're struggling to believe. I see that you're struggling to think. You're struggling to act. You don't see what I see in you, and I want to give you the courage that is necessary not just so that you stay where you are, but so that you can take the action step to that next thing, that you can go a little bit further and you are stuck right in this spot and you can't move. And what's going to move you forward is the courage that I'm going to give to you to believe something about God that you don't think you can actually believe, to believe something about yourself that you don't think you can actually believe, to believe something about your future that you right now can't believe, to believe something is true about who Jesus is that right now you're not sure you can actually believe. Encouragement is more than a psychological bump. It is meant to move to action by loaning and giving to courage people around us whom we love and whom we want to see grow. Paul wrote about encouragement more than anybody else in the New Testament writing. But I will tell you, and I would argue, that Paul actually learned encouragement from someone who was better at encouragement than Paul was. Now, that's a little bit of conjecture or guess on my part, but I, would, I could almost guarantee you, I'd love to ask Paul sometime, Paul, is this true? Did you actually learn encouragement from this guy that I think you learned it from? Because Paul had a friend, he had a, a, I would even say a mentor in ministry, who walked with and lived with Paul for years who taught Paul, I believe, more about encouragement than Paul knew on his own. And it's actually his life that I want to look at with you. This morning is going to feel maybe a little bit different for you if you're used to how I teach or how I communicate. We're actually going to, almost like a, a little pebble skipping across the pond, we're going to try to hit five quick kind of panels in the book of Acts, a letter that was written to the early church. We're going to get, you know, skip, 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 and try to hit five quick things because we're going to look at a life of somebody quickly and I'm going to try to give to you a picture of what an encourager looks like through the life of someone who I think mentored Paul so that he could understand what encouragement actually looked like. So if you want to go with me, I invite you to turn into your Bible in the little book of Acts, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It's in the New Testament, the right two-thirds of your Bible, um, the fifth book in there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. There's a Bible in the pew near you. Uh, and that's our gift to you, by the way. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to have you take that with you uh, this morning because we believe in it. We think it can be a very valuable and helpful piece, all right? So Acts chapter 4 um, is where we're going to start. So you can flip over to Acts chapter 4. And the context for Acts 4 is that the, the early church um, is just getting its footing. It's just landing as a, a growing organism. And there are people who are realizing we need to give to one another in ways that otherwise we have never done before. There is a real growing sense of unity in the church. 
that is truthfully unparalleled, I think, in human history since then. And I believe what's happening in Acts 4 is uh, descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. We can have that conversation another time. That is a very helpful description, but I don't think it is necessarily prescriptive. So here's what's going on. Look at verse 36. We're going to get introduced immediately to the guy that I think mentored Paul and what it meant to be an encourager. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, who was a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. See why I picked him? Sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So I'm going to start with my stone skipping across the pond this morning. Here's our first stop. This guy named Joseph, who the apostles referred to as Barnabas because his name meant son of encouragement, decided, he looked around and decided, do you know what people need? you know what the church needs right now? They need me to sell the field that I have and bring all of the money and put it at the apostles' feet and let them do with it as they will. This, by the way, was brand new. This is a brand new concept. You can tell that Barnabas' action inspired and encouraged other people to do this because other people copycatted him. People that you may know, if you know your Bible, and if you don't, it's no problem, I'll tell you the story. People copycatted him. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. In the very next verses, which I'm not going to read, Ananias and Sapphira, I think, realized, man, that was pretty cool that Barnabas did that. People are looking at him as if he's some kind of benevolent hero. I kind of want that reputation, so I'll sell land. Oh, but let's keep a little bit of the portion back to ourselves, and then let's just say that we're giving the whole thing to the church. Like, who will know? And so they did that. They were best of both worlds. We actually get to keep profit and get the reputation in the community. And if you know the story, then basically they died. Okay, let's move on. Right? I mean, that's kind of what happened, right? I mean, Ananias came in and said, this is the whole money, this is all the money that I gave. And Paul said, uh, really, you're going to test the Spirit of God by lying straight up? And like, whoops, sorry, boom, he fell over, died hours later. His wife, Sapphira, comes in and does the same thing. And she says, yeah, it's all the money we got. That's my best Sapphira impersonation right there. And, um, and she falls over and dies too. So Barnabas, the reason I tell you that is Barnabas started something. <laughs> that was contagious in the church. They had a very uh, positive reaction to it. But here's what I want to say first about encouragers. Encouragers, and here's what I get about Barnabas' opening line in his life and the character of who he is, that encouragers, first of all, have a heart of generosity. Imagine this for a minute. Imagine being in that space and not having this precedent before. There wasn't anyone else who was selling their land to donate. There wasn't anyone else doing that. And Barnabas, I think what happened to Barnabas is he's just like, you know what, you need something? I, I have something. It's that simple. And you know people like this. People who would give you the shirt off their back. These are people who are encouragers. These are people who step up and say, you have, you have a need? Man, seriously, I got it. Right here in my wallet, I got 15 bucks. Like, I'll help you with this immediately. And there's not even a thought of anything else that needs to be done. That by default, encouragers have this heart of generosity. You know, we went through um, seminary in Dallas, my wife and I did, and in our time there, we had a, a lady in Barbados where I grew up who basically um, kind of out of the blue said, I'd like to sponsor you in seminary. I'm like, really? She said, yeah, I know you're going to be working poor, basically. You're going to you know, not have very much, and we'd like to help you out. I'm like, wow. And so for four years at Dallas Seminary, she helped us monthly um, with, with income. So I decided I'm just going to be a seminary student forever if you're going to you know, do that now. But this is the nature of people who are generous. It's just like, there's a need. I'm not even really going to think much about it. It's just in my heart, like I see a need 
And what can I do to meet it? And this is where I think encouragers begin. I want to give you five, five panels of the life of Barnabas. This is the first. But encouragers not only have a heart of generosity, encouragers, I also want to say this, will lend their reputation to others. Still in the book of Acts, we're going to flip over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, just move over a couple pages with me, to verses 26 to 28. The apostles are going to be introduced to this guy named Saul, who to this point was um, destroying, absolutely destroying the church, um, putting people in jail, having them killed. And Saul came to faith. He, he came to believe in the very Jesus whom he was persecuting. And then Saul meets the apostles, <laughs> who are deathly afraid of him, and rightly so. And here's the meeting, verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. When he came to Jerusalem, that is Saul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Look what happened there. Barnabas lent his reputation to Saul who needed it. He put himself in that space and said, you can trust him because of me. Any of the other disciples could have, but they didn't. But Barnabas did. This is what encouragers do. And look at the net result of that in verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Encouragers don't just see the potential, but they act on it. I remember back to my seminary days, for example, I was working at a church in Dallas um, on a missions team, and we had a missionary family, about 52 missionary families that we um, connected with and related to around the world. And um, one of them was particularly entrepreneurial, um, and he was a very thought-provoking missionary in Spain. Uh, and around the missions team at a particular meeting, the conversation was, should we or should we not continue support of this gentleman? Because what he's doing is not really working at all. And there was a couple people over here who were like, I'm not seeing results, this isn't working, you know, he's trying this and it's a waste and blah, 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 blah. And then there was one other person, one guy, who's like, you know what? He didn't put it this way, but he's like, let me lend my reputation to him. I want you to see him through my life for a minute. And I'm going to put my reputation on the line. We need to continue the support, and here is why. And in that space, he created a future for this entrepreneurial missionary to create all kinds of innovative and creative ways to connect with people who were postmodern, even post-Christian in Spain at that time. That would not have happened had this encourager not lent his reputation to someone who wasn't even in the room. And so encouragers not only write handwritten thank you notes and not only feel great about themselves and then, but encouragers not only have a heart of generosity, but they also by default lend their reputation to others. They look at people in their business, they look at people who they relate to, and they say, who is it whom I can lend my reputation to, who actually has potential and I'm going to act on it right here. This is the spirit of Barnabas, the encourager. Well, it goes on. It goes on. And uh, the next thing I want to look at with you is Acts chapter 11. So flip over to Acts chapter 11, verses, and beginning at verse 19. Encouragers not only lend their reputation, encouragers are also leaders who draw people to greater commitment. Look at Acts 11, verse 19. 
Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so what's happening here is there's a a revival. There's a breakout of people who are believing in Jesus, and great things are happening. And so word gets back to Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. It only makes sense. There's some great things happening, and they hear about it. And so they decided, they sent, there's our man, they sent Barnabas. Interesting decision. So you're the church of Jerusalem, you're kind of the the headquarters of all things church-like, all things Christian at the time. Great things are happening, and of all the people, of all the people, including Paul or Saul, of all the people that you could send, your decision is, we want to send the son of encouragement to that place. Encouragers are leaders. Encouragers aren't soft, by the way. Encouragers aren't people who are run over. And if you have that in your brain or mind of like, yeah, encouragement, yeah, who needs that? I just need to put on my big boy pants and go to work. Like, let's just get it done. This encouragement stuff is whatever. Like, encouragers are leaders who catalyze change by their vision of what could be. Encouragers are not soft. Encouragers use this passion and conviction in their soul to say, this is what can and should be. And look what he does in verse 23. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God... He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. In other words, he knows and he knew there is trouble coming, young church. There is going to be challenges to your faith. I want you in this space to keep this commitment you are making. Continue to remember what you have said and done this day. This is a commitment to God that you have made. Don't step off from that. And encouraging them to step into that space. Encourages our leaders. They are leaders who draw people to greater commitment. They don't force people to greater commitment. They don't push them into it. But they draw them in with greater commitment to this. And so if you don't consider yourself an encourager, I want you to reconsider that. This is what, this is what in many ways... Um, Parents do. When they see something great in their kids, and they see all of a sudden uh, you know, one of their kids sharing a toy when it's like, oh, for the last nine and a half years, I haven't seen any good from my children. And now, in this one moment, there's something good. And they stop in that space, even though they're on their way to make dinner, even though they're on the way to answer the phone, even though they're on the way to send the text, even though they're on the way to whatever, they stop in that space. If they're driving and they see it happen in the back of the car, they stop in that space and they will encourage the heart of the child to continue to give all of their heart to unselfishness. Because that's what encouragers do. That is leadership that encourages the heart of the child to continue to remember and see what is most important. This is encouragement in the church. This is giving a little courage. I can share again and again and again and again and again. This is what leaders do. Now, this story actually continues in chapter 11 of Acts. Look what Barnabas does next. Verse verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus... To look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. 
I know you don't have a lot of time to get your mind around this passage and moving fairly quickly, but I want you to, to just see this for a minute. What's happening here is Barnabas has a great opportunity to make a name great for himself. This is whatever business you are in, okay? Whatever business you go to tomorrow morning and work at, whatever business you're in, this is a period of growth for his business, if you will. This is his church growth moment. This is a time where Barnabas has the opportunity to make his name even greater. Look at all of the results that are happening. This is an incredible opportunity for Barnabas, quite honestly, to be selfish. But leaders, I will put it this way, build teams without competition. Barnabas, without the request of anyone else, in that space he said, I need someone who has a gifting that I don't have. I need to go get Saul so that these people are made better. And the willingness of Barnabas as an encourager of people to build a team, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, not just Barnabas, to invite Paul in to share in the gift of ministry rewards is a profound step that not everyone would take. Barnabas does. Paul's a great teacher. I would argue a better teacher than Barnabas. Do you ever remember anything that Barnabas taught? Barnabas ever write a book? Nope. Did Paul? Yep. So Barnabas has more gifts, I would argue, Paul, I would argue, has more gifts than Barnabas does when it relates to public leading and speaking. And here's another little key thing, that encouragers are not threatened by the gifts of the people that are around them. Encouragers are not threatened to build a team with people who around them are even better at certain things than they are. This is the nature of the encourager. Someone who isn't threatened both in your business or in the church to invite people in who are sharper at, more acute at, more succinct than, more on point, more energy, more passion, whatever you want to call it. They simply are not threatened because they know at the end of the day they are not the point. So it, this is Barnabas. One last thing, and then I want to draw this thing to a close. All right. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Paul and Barnabas' relationship has grown over the years, I would suggest. And they're ready to go back on the field together. They've spent time in the section of Scripture we were just in, and now, years later, look at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, remember the fun we had back then? Remember how things worked? It's time to go back and see how people are doing. Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord. And see how they're doing. It's a, uh, it's a whatever. It's a, it's a tour, man. It's a, what do they call those things? A um, something tour. Hearing mumblings. It's okay. I guess we're not allowed to. What is that when you do a repeat tour? A reunion tour? Sure. Let's go with that. I think you're all just as confused as I am in the moment. Shouldn't have brought that up. Sorry about that. They did well, now they want to go back and see all the people that have been doing well with them. All right, verse 37. So, so Barnabas is like, that's a great idea, Paul. I have an idea because I build teams. I'm a team builder. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Because Paul had a very good reason. He had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And honestly, I'm on Paul's side here. Verse 39. They had, Paul and Barnabas, such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. 
Barnabas said, Paul, I'm going to take Mark. And he took Mark, and he sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Apparently both of them commended. So he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What a powerful moment. The people who had been tight and had great experiences together, and Barnabas said, I want to bring Mark. And Paul said, I don't think so. There is too much at stake to bring a deserter with us. And Barnabas said, Paul, I don't think so either. I'm not going to go without him. I know that you're Paul. You can go do your thing, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do this with him. I will not give up on him. And encouragers are more patient than most. It's just as simple as that. They believe in you more than even sometimes you believe in yourself. This is a powerful moment to think of what happens in the life of Mark. Can you imagine what would happen if you're Mark? Imagine being Mark for a minute. Barnabas, you chose me over a reunion with Paul. You, but Barnabas, I left last time. Like You're right, I deserted you guys. I did. Can you imagine how that conversation would go, seriously? Can you imagine for a minute how encouraged you would feel if you were Mark? That Barnabas would give you a little bit of courage to say, Mark, I know you can do more and I'm going to bet my reputation on it. Do you think that would move you to action if you were Mark? Because it did. It moved him to action so much and we don't know the backstory. I don't know what happened from this moment on until we get toward the end of Paul's life. And we actually pick up the implications of this moment in this story. When Paul is actually sitting on his deathbed, and he is writing the last words of his life, he wrote a little letter to Timothy called 2 Timothy. It was First and 2 Timothy. And here's what Paul wrote at the end of 2 Timothy. He said this, Only Luke is with me. Get who? I didn't hear that at all. Get who? Get Mark. And bring him with you because he deserted us in Pamphylia. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. This is the same Mark that he didn't believe in years ago, that Barnabas believed in. And this is the power of encouragement. This is the power of encouragers. See, encouragers, as I said at the beginning, encouragement is giving a little bit of courage so that someone else can take a little bit of action. And Barnabas did this throughout his life. And he gave it to Mark, and it turned Mark into becoming something that Paul later on said, Mark, I can't, actually, as I'm dying, like, I want Mark in the room with me. And I can almost guarantee you Mark is not in the room if Barnabas doesn't put his reputation on the line, if Barnabas doesn't build a team without competition, if Barnabas doesn't have a heart of generosity, and if Barnabas isn't more patient than most. And so when Paul writes to the church, church, <laughs> encourage one another, I think he has Barnabas in mind. I think he has all of these qualities in mind, church. Lead your businesses this way. Lead your families this way. Serve one another this way. With a heart of generosity. With teams that come without competition. Putting your reputation on the line for people who other people would be quick to disregard. Being more patient 
than most. This is what I think marks the encourager who can take a little bit of courage and give it to someone else. And so then I would ask the question for me and for you, who is in your path that you need to encourage? Parents, your children, your spouses, CEOs, business leaders, who in your company and you know who they are needs a little touch from you, a little reminder from you. Who is over you that can actually use a little bit of a reminder that they're not the world's worst boss in the world? Who is it in your path that could use a little touch of courage from you? Let me ask it the other way. Let me put it this way. I'm not even going to ask, I'm just going to say it. It's kind of a question. But I'll say this. When someone encourages me, I need to ask what I should do with that. If it's true that encouragement is a matter of trying to move someone to action, if that's the nature of encouragement in the New Testament, it's not just a psychological bump, it's actually a growth issue. If you think that's true, it's only fair to ask if I'm the recipient of encouragement. Right? If someone tells you your value, if someone reminds you what you could do, if someone encourages you in your faith to step in, it is only right to ask the question, what action should I take based on this encouragement? It would be wrong and it would short-circuit the encouragement process simply to receive it as a psychological bump. Oh, I feel better. Now I'm going to keep disbelieving what I disbelieved before. I'm going to continue living in fear. But thank you for that nice note. It is only fair to ask, and it is a hard question to ask, but if encouragement is meant to nudge you and nudge me a little bit, what courage do I need to take with the encouragement that I hear? Some of you may feel like you're not the world's greatest leaders, not the world's most public speakers, communicators, leaders in your business, that maybe other people have a gift and a skill set that you simply don't have. Let me encourage you with this. Quiet encouragers are more impactful than loud leaders. Right? Quiet encouragers are more impactful than loud leaders. Barnabas' story is perfect for that. This is the power of encouragement. Now, let me ask this final question, and then we're going to wrap things up. What's at stake? What's at stake? You can sit here and listen to this, and it can sound great. But seriously, though, what's at stake? What if we decided not to do anything with this? What if we decided it was business as usual? And it was Sunday as usual? What's at stake, really, with encourage one another church? What's at stake with that? And I want to suggest to you that what's at stake is everything about the mission of the church. Everything about the health of your children impacts the health of the mission of the church. And parents, when you encourage your children, you are encouraging the mission of the church and the next generation of people to believe in the God of the universe who has made them and loved them. What's at stake, business leaders? If your business is healthier, our entire community is healthier. It gives people margin and space to be able to see a redemptive God even in the middle of an economic system that provides fair housing and jobs for people. As your business thrives, so do people's spiritual lives. That everything is at stake. As a leader of your business, are you encouraging those who work for you, under you, and 
and above you. What is at stake is the mission, the redemptive mission of the church. What's at stake in the church of people who are sitting next to you in the pews on Sunday mornings to believe that we, we, in this room, in this space, we are together, that we have fears that we don't know if we can get over, that we have been fighting addictions and pain and shame for year upon year upon year, and we don't know if it can ever get better. And I'm telling you, the people in this room have a little bit of courage to give to you that what is at stake is the mission and the vitality of the church. What is at stake is not just a hallmark card with a little psychological bump for people. What is at stake in encouragement is the future and vision and direction and passion of the church that people at all times and all places will see that Jesus is a God of redemption who came to heal the broken because encouragement gives each and every one of us from parents to business leaders to people in school to people who are on their own trying to make it in the young adult world at every stage of life it gives you a little bit of courage and we need it from one another to step into the spaces we're afraid to step into because that is the mission of the church to believe that the God of redemption can do more than we can do on our own. So what's at stake? Not just psychology, not just our emotions, not just feeling better about one another, not just writing each other notes for the fun of it. What's at stake is that all people at all times will see this is the church. This is God. This is what he does. He gives us hope when others see hopelessness. And he nudges us to believe the best about one another, to build teams without competition, to have a heart of generosity over and over and over and over again. So church, when Paul writes, encourage one another, this is what I think is at stake. And this is why I think he writes, that we can be people who when we see it, we say it. The church needs it. The mission of God needs it. That we can be people who encourage at every space in our lives. Now, next week, I want to talk about one more, one another, particularly related to how we treat one another in our families. A hard word next week, but I'm looking forward to it. Will you join me as we pray? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be here this morning in this space and talk about the idea of encouragement and look at the life of Barnabas. And I pray that as we reflect in our own world about where we are in school, where we are in our career, where we are in our parenting, our grandparenting, in our singleness, in our post-relationship status, wherever we might be and moving, just kind of landing here and all the uncertainties that come in all these spaces that we are in. I pray that you would help us to see the people around us as people who need this that the church can give, a little dose of courage, a little reminder that faith is bigger than fear, that God is a God of redemption, of hope and forgiveness and restoration. People like Barnabas set the bar high, that are more patient than most, are more willing to push in than most and put their reputation on the line than most, are driven by a heart of generosity. So I pray that you would help us in the spaces we find ourselves as parents and students and young adults and older adults to ask, who is it that's in my path that needs a little touch of encouragement? And if we are on 
the receiving end of encouragement. I pray that you would help us not to stay the same because of it, but to believe and step forward that the mission of this church, of your church, will be made stronger and push further than it would without this. We pray this asking for your help in this. In Jesus' name we pray.